medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. I'm Dara Rennie, a doctor in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and your host for today's podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Nikki Kay. Nikki is a world-renowned sport endocrine specialist. She currently has roles as an honorary clinical lecturer in medicine at University College London and a research fellow in the Department of Sport and Exercise Sciences at Durham University. Nikki has gained extensive clinical and research experience in both endocrinology and sport and dance medicine involving elite athletes, professional ballet dancers, and young aspiring athletes. She has a particular interest in menstrual cycle hormone monitoring and has conducted research into the energy availability status of professional female footballers, as well as writing the Health for Performance Basim Educational Research on Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. Thank you very much for joining us today, Nikki. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to the discussion. Today, we're going to discuss your recent work focusing on the energy availability status of professional female football players. But just following off in the intro, um, it seems like you have quite extensive background. So if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners a bit of an insight into that and how you became interested in energy availability status in females. Um, well, I suppose I have to declare a personal interest. <laughs> uh, um, as a youngster, um, I was very much into sport and for me particularly dancing. And um, I realized, and it happened to me, that it's, you know, if you're training hard, and especially in some sports and things like dance, where there's also uh, an aesthetic demand, uh, I realized that it's very easy to slip into low energy availability. And for in women, that will be manifest in, pro, in terms of problems with menstrual cycles, etc. So I kind of realized that this was happening. And this is obviously a long time ago, because as I said, it was when I was young. So which sadly is a long time ago. But anyway, so but that was my sort of initial uh, realization. And so I, I also came to realize all my objective was by studying medicine, I would try and well, try and when I say fix this, that's probably a little bit too ambitious, but we'll look into this in more detail to in order to improve the situation, because, you know, we don't want athletes of any level, uh, whether they're professionals or amateurs or, or what we don't want any 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 athlete running into this situation because it has adverse effects on their health and ultimately the performance of whatever sport or exercise they're trying to perform so that's really the gist of why I particularly focused in on on this but as you know studying medicine it's not that straightforward you don't go just straight from A to B so you have to gain lots of experience and everything which was exciting I went to Australia for a while and did some uh, sports medicine clinics there I did some research at Geneva Hospital but all of this um, experience um, hopefully has put me in a good position to, you know, really come up with some practical solutions and some uh, focused research 
for supporting athletes in, in what they want to achieve. As I said, whatever they want to achieve, whatever level. But obviously, we're particularly thinking professional football here. But just to make the uh, the, the point that uh, you know, exercise in general to whatever level. Not only is it great for your health, but actually, depending on the balance, it you know it can be a little bit detrimental. And actually, we recently published a paper with some some colleagues called "Passing the Baton," uh, which I thought was quite a good name because it's about how we can learn from athletes and what what uh, effects exercise has on the endocrine system, hormones, and then we can also translate that back to patients and vice versa. What we learn and see. Uh, you know, uh, doing endocrinology uh, in the NHS, you can actually also apply that to to athletes. So it's a two-way thing. Anyway, so that was quite a long ramble. <laughs> uh, but I hope you get the gist that from there, I'm very um, passionate about exercise, sport, and hormones. Sure. And you mentioned female footballers there, and I guess they're well documented to be at risk of low energy availability and the adverse health and performance consequences of relative energy deficiency in sport or reds. Can you give our listeners a bit of an insight as to why female footballers are at such high risk? Mm. Well, maybe we should just go uh, back a, st- a step, do you think, and just sort of clarify if people aren't familiar with uh, low energy availability reds, just a quick a resume of that. So uh, obviously, as human beings to stay alive and to exercise, to move, we need energy, obviously, from our food. Um, but if uh in very simplistic terms just the sort of absolute science of it if you're not taking in enough energy to cover your basic requirements for just to stay healthy because after all it takes a lot of energy even just to lie in bed all day if you haven't got enough energy to cover that just staying healthy staying alive and on top of that your the energy demands from exercise training then you're going to end up in a situation of low energy availability. So there isn't enough energy to cover all these demands. And the body actually prioritizes movement. Uh, so it will look to save energy, go into eco mode in some uh, aspects of physiology that require energy. Uh, and that's what we mean by the adverse health effects. So in the case of a female, uh, in the case of a woman, and they, the body might try and save energy by switching off her menstrual cycles, for example. That's a sort of an obvious uh, example. And then also it has a knock-on effect on performance. And this is what REDS describes. REDS, Relative Energy Deficiency Sport, is a syndrome describing the adverse effects of low energy availability in terms of health and in terms of your performance. I think that's really important to stress because athletes, you know, single-minded, it's like, listen, I'll, I'll put up with um, some injuries and, and whatever. So long as I can get to, you know, I can play the match next week, then it's I don't mind. But actually, if you explain to them that it's not just these health effects, these the, it's the effects on adverse effects on performance, they won't be able to perform to their best. That's really the crucial message to get out about Reds, I think. So that's what Reds is. And what about the female, professional female footballers? Are they at risk or not? Well, I have to say, initially, there was some, well, not debate, but I suppose the focus was more on what you would uh, maybe associate with the type of athletes who develop threads. So ultra, uh, you know, endurance ones, marathon runners, the ones that have to be lightweight, also aesthetic sports, like I mentioned, rhythmic gymnastics, dance, for example. So although, of course, footballers 
of course, training load, yes, of course, we know is high, but maybe there was an argument. Uh, maybe actually it's not so much aesthetic in that sense. I mean, it is beautiful in the sense of all the, you know, the tactics and the formations, but, but you know, the, what the person, the footballer looks like doesn't really matter, right? So long as they've got the skills uh, and the football intelligence or whatever that is. However, um, from our research, we found that slightly surprisingly, actually, yes, footballers can be, female footballers can be at risk, I think there are many reasons for that. One of them is that, um, you know, it just takes a lot of energy, of course, training. So it's easy to not take in enough fuel. And it could be actually practically, from practical point of view, quite difficult. If you're uh, way matches and all this sort of thing, you're a heavy training schedule. It's like, well, when are you actually going to eat? <laughs> you know, it's just physically difficult to get in the, the, the food. That, that would be in a situation of unintentional low energy availability because it's just the practicalities it's quite tricky um but i think even maybe intentional where the athlete is intentionally restricting what they're taking because unfortunately we have to uh accept or appreciate that you know there is um a pressure in society in general especially for women i would say to look a certain way and whatever and uh when i was giving a presentation at uh, Barca last year, um, you know, someone said, well, actually, yes, maybe in order to get um, endorsements to boost the salary, sadly, women's salary in sport, we're getting a little bit political now, right? <laughs> you know, it's not, it doesn't quite equate to the men's. And so actually, you know, maybe there's an element of that. So there are lots of different reasons why Reds, I think, were seeing this um, in female uh, footballers. That's really interesting, Nikki. And mm. you mentioned your, there your study that you conducted um, with Dr. Eddie Craghill of Manchester United and Gavin Francis. Can, can you give our listeners a bit more of an overview of what the study entailed and why it's so important for elite female footballers? Mm. Well, first of all, uh, thanks to my colleagues, especially, especially Dr. Eddie, as you mentioned there. Um, uh, we started to work together because I was giving a talk in Manchester about Reds. And then he approached me afterwards and, and asked me, what do you think in footballers, you know, do you think this is a problem? And I said, I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> so um, so what we did, we put together the various strands to the study. The first one was to make um, a questionnaire. There are some questionnaires out there that uh, listeners may be aware of to try and pick up athletes at risk of low energy availability. And for female athletes, there's a thing called the LEAF-Q, low energy availability in um, females questionnaire. And, and, and obviously that's well accepted. That's, that's great. Um, Anna Menlin's uh, research team in, in Denmark developed that. So that's great. But my, the only drawback of that is that it's not sport specific. Um, and so I had some experience with dancers. I designed a, a questionnaire, a dance specific questionnaire, which was a little bit more uh, had a little bit more content uh, based on the leaf cue, but adding some extra detail about training loads, attitudes to body shape, attitudes to food, of course, menstrual history, etc. So um, I'd already had an experience of that in the dance field. And so what we set about doing was using that as a basis and adjusting it to be specific for football. So rather than answering about hours of dance training in the dance studio, we were asking about 
training load in terms of you know how many hours on the pitch strength etc although but other than that actually the the questions were quite similar so we can compare truly across sports and this is becoming more and more of a thing to try and use questionnaires as a sport specific with a sort of a, um, a standard panel of questions and a standard scoring system so we can truly compare and answer the question are footballers more at risk than dancers for example so the study we asked the participants to complete the questionnaire uh, and then also followed up with some few a few questions. Uh, we know that questionnaires sometimes you know people can be a little bit reticent putting down uh, what they truly think or feel and what's expected but that's the advantage of being a, an independent researcher you see. I mean I go in there and it's like listen I'm, I'm just doing this independently I've no opinion of, of what what's said anyway so the questionnaire and then the really exciting bit was to look at the uh, health of the female hormones so um, an obvious sign that female hormones are working in a good way healthy is for a woman having regular menstrual cycles so that's obviously a really good starting point it's what I call the barometer of internal hormones. If you're having regular cycles, this is by the way, assuming you're not taking any form of hormonal contraception, then that's a very good starting point. But it's a very blunt tool because you can still have menstrual cycles, but actually the hormones might not be, uh, might be a little bit dampened down. So there's a thing called anovulatory cycles, for example, or subclinical luteal phase cycles where the hormones are doing something and you get a menstrual period, you get a bleed, but actually you haven't done the full range of hormones. In other words, you haven't ovulated, you haven't produced the progesterone, but you wouldn't know that because you just have a period and it's like, well, I, I, you, one assumes that it's all okay. But this could be this situation of uh, subclinical uh, menstrual problems could be an early warning indicator of REDS. Because by the time your periods have stopped entirely, then it's pretty obvious. You don't really even have to have a medical degree to know that that's not quite right. And that there's definitely low energy availability and the, the female athlete pretty much certainly got red. So to try and unpick that, detect early warning signs, um, in addition to the questionnaire, the some of the players did blood tests. Now, how are you going to measure the blood what's happening with the hormones over a menstrual cycle? One way would be that you could do, take a blood test every day of the cycle. But you can imagine that's not going to go down well with anybody. <laughs> no one wants to do that. No one wants to have their blood taken every day. And, and I certainly don't want to take it every day. So um, this is where a little bit of fancy maths comes in. We worked out that by taking uh, just two samples at, two, at the key points in the cycle, round about day 14, round about day 21, with those samples and with a lot of background knowledge that we know, this is how the hormones should fluctuate. This is, this is uh, some data from some woman in a research study who indeed, poor things, they did have a blood test every day. So with all this background information and these two key uh, samples at, the, at the, um, those time points in the cycle, we could model using artificial and intelligent techniques. We could pretty confidently say, yes, all the hormones are varying as we'd expect, fine, this is a normal menstrual cycle, no worries. But interestingly, we also picked up um, some players, 
where, uh, you know, it wasn't quite as we as they would hope. So they were having a period, but the hormones weren't quite doing their full thing. And that was an early warning sign to us that some of the players, you know, were teetering on the verge of low energy availability. And then we could match those results with the, the, the scoring, the results from the questionnaire. So the, you know, what's the conclusion of this study? Why do we think this study is, uh, you know, really valuable? Um, is because uh, the questionnaire can be used at any club. You don't have to have loads of funding to do a questionnaire, you know? And so you can get an idea. You can identify players that may be at risk if they get a lower score, it looks like maybe someone needs to have a chat with them about their, their fueling strategies, what's going on. And then, uh, you know, doing these uh, this modelling of the female hormones, that will give you an extra layer of information. If you've identified a player at risk, then what are you going to do? You're going to have a chat with them, and then you could do this extra test, for example, to see if that's showing up early warning signs of uh, low energy availability problems. So that was, uh, so there you go. That's a summary of what we did. I hope that's uh, explained uh, what, what, what we did and why that hopefully will be useful in the future. Sure. I guess you know, going forward, you mentioned about the questionnaire. How do you think this study actually might impact clinical practice? Is there any particular ways you can think that things might change in, in the coming years? Yes, well, I think, um, you know, uh, my colleague, Dr. Dr. Eddie Crackhill, he really, we, we presented the preliminary findings at the um, Manchester United uh, Medical Conference, and um, uh, we sort of shared the presentation. So I sort of gave an explanation of what I just said, the nitty gritty of what we did in the study and the results. And he then went on to say that actually, um, you know, this is a really good place to start we have to, for anything, we have to talk about it. So first of all, let's tell, let's talk about it openly uh, at clubs, with players, with coaches. Let's say, look, this can be an issue for some players. And then following on from that, as I said, the questionnaire, it's just a questionnaire. So you don't have to have loads of funding to do a questionnaire and it's open access. You can do the questionnaire. You can score it for the player. They could even do it themselves. And then you can pick out players that are at risk. But I think the emphasis on information education um, is really, really important. And you mentioned uh, BASEM, British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine at the beginning. Um, and we have uh, published, there's a website um, specifically on red. Um, it's called health4performance.co.uk. And on there, there's some information for athletes, coaches, healthcare professional with the, you know, references from various uh, research papers, etc. And so I think, you know, in practical terms, you're saying, so what, what do we, where do we go from here? And I think it's providing information and education to athletes and coaches so they know that this is, you know, this is happening. We have to accept this is, you know, this is what's happening. Uh, and we need to do everything we can to provide reliable information and also practical solutions. How to, number one, avoid this. So more information, education about nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. But also, you know, how to detect those that are at risk. Because by the time, it makes me sad every time I see an athlete 
who comes and sees me and their periods have stopped for two years and they hobble in with a stress fracture. And it's like, this could have potentially been preventable two years ago if this, if the athlete, number one, had known about res or if someone had picked up the warning signs that something was amiss, you see. So that's really, uh, I think, the way forward. Uh, prevention is always better than cure, right? Sure. And, and do you have any you know, practical advice for coaches or staff? You, you mentioned the education there. And is there anything that coaches and staff can currently do to, to decrease their, their player risk of relative energy deficiency in sport? I mean, listen, you know, uh, coaches are obviously very experienced. And so they're they're, and probably they're the ones that see the athletes, you know, on the pitch training. So they've got an excellent eye and understanding uh, of individual players. And so if the coach notices that a player either is just a bit off, you know, um, or just looking really tired or, or something's not right, then actually, you know, the coach that could be a sign that the coach could pick up on. It might be that the coach isn't, um, you know, uh, comfortable with uh, discuss going into the ins and outs of periods, but at least just asking a question or saying, oh, you know, are, are you okay? I've just noticed you're not so good, just wondering about your periods. And then if the player wants to discuss, obviously, that side of things, then, you know, appropriate referral to... Um, you know, a physician that could talk the details. So I think the coach, the, the eyes and ears, <laughs> really, of picking up uh, the players that they're concerned about, that, you know, they're just, they might not be able to put their finger on it because often you can't. It's just something not quite right for that person. Um, and so I think coaches have a good, important role there, but also the athletes. Um, I understand that athletes, you know, they want to perform. They don't want to sort of jeopardize their selection and things. I also appreciate that. But also athletes as well, you want to be the best athlete you can. So if you know in your heart of hearts something isn't right, um, you know, either your coach or, or certainly seeking out some sort of advice or, like I said, going to the Bayesian website so you can inform yourself and understand what's, what's going on. It might not be reds. It might be simply that you haven't been taking your vitamin D supplementation, by the way, and that's why you're feeling very tired. But I think we should always be alert to that um, from the findings of our study and, and in other sports that actually reds is something that maybe we had underestimated as a problem. That's great, Nikki. Thanks very much. That's very useful advice for our listeners. And thank you very much for joining us today to discuss what is really a, a very interesting topic and something that's been somewhat neglected until recent years. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. Cool. For our listeners, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the FMPA on our Spotify and SoundCloud accounts, where you can listen to all of our podcasts. Alternatively, our podcasts are also available for free by the podcast section on the FMPA website. We'll post a link to um, Nikki's study with Dr. Eddie Craighill in the bio, as well as a link to her health for performance awesome education and resource. You've been listening to the FMPA podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>